again, my name is Benjur, and one of the pastors here at Flourishing Grace Church, and we've been in a series all summer. Um, if this is your first time here today, uh, we are in a series called Anatomy of the Soul. We've got about three weeks left of it. We're going to wrap it up by the end of July, and, and we're coming kind of to the, to the end of it. And what we've been doing is we've been walking through um, psalms. A psalm is something that's in the, in the Old Testament. It's a book of psalms, and really what it is, it's a song that kind of is also wrapped up in a prayer. And um, what I've loved about this, and the reason why we call it the anatomy of the soul, is there's something really neat about a, a song. Like, like, we all have our favorite songs, and there's something about a song that communicates something in a different way than, like, a lecture or a class or just a list of, of truths. There's something about it that gets wrapped up in our soul and, and, and kind of resonates with us. Um, before we kind of get started today, um, there's something that you need to know about me. I don't really like heights, you know? I'm actually kind of afraid of heights, truth be told. Yeah, I'm terrified of heights. Like, I, I don't know what it is. Ever since I was a kid, um, like when my girls were little, I've got a seven and nine-year-old. When, when they were little, or, um, you know, and, and most kids I know, they, they loved to be, you know, kind of swung up on, on somebody's shoulders and, and up on my shoulders and, and, and walked around and just absolutely loved that. I mean, if you did that to me when I was three years old, I would flip out. And you'd be like, man, what is wrong with this kid? Like, I'd be up on somebody's shoulders and it's just a couple of feet off the ground and I would actually flip out. In fact, I disliked heights so much that, um, uh, you know, I obviously hated roller coasters, and, and nowadays I, I try to go on them, especially for my kids. But my mom would have to bribe me to go on roller coasters, so she, she wouldn't have to be the one, you know, at the amusement park just sitting on the ground with me. And I would honestly cry the whole time around the roller, you know. And, and even, you know, it'd be for, if you guys remember the Nintendo Entertainment Systems, the old video games, yeah, I'd get one of those for each time I would go on one of those, and it still wasn't enough. It wasn't worth it, okay? I'm still traumatized. Um, but, you know, the thing is, 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 is that as, as I've gotten older, I've, I've realized, okay, I can kind of do these. And, and even as we go to Lagoon, the amusement park down the street, you know, because I love my kids, I go on many of the rides and I can kind of deal. I just kind of sit like this on the roller coasters and pretend like I'm somewhere else. Um, my kids love the Ferris wheel. And for some reason, we always stop at the top. And, and my youngest daughter, Sammy, just, just loves it. And she like loves leaning over, like, look, Dad, I can see our house. And I'm like, you sit down right there. You know, I'm just like terrified. And I've learned to poke fun at myself, right? Because there's some fears that we have that we just kind of say, yeah, that, that's ridiculous. I have it. I don't know what to do with it. And we can kind of poke fun at ourselves. But there's also some fears that as we, as, as we become adults, they're, they're grown-up fears. And they're not funny. They're fears that, 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 that terrify us. And, and, and sometimes we know where they came from. Maybe it's something that happened to us and we're fearful of it happening again. Maybe it's something that we can't really explain, but there's something, you know, we just fear of not being financially secure. We're, we're fearful of being alone or being rejected or maybe worse, not mattering to somebody. And this is what I know about fear. We all have different fears. But one thing I know about all of us and fear is this, is that fear has a tremendous ability to rob us of joy. Chances are, if there's been a time in your life when you've been fearful, or maybe there's something that happened, you know, the in-the-moment things, whether it's a, it's a car accident or, or you've, you, know, you, lose, you feel like you, know, you lost your two-year-old and you can't find them and you're looking around and there's this fear, chances are, whether it's that or a time when it's just, you know, you're fearful of losing a job or, or you're in a relationship and you, don't, you know you're not really supposed to be in there, but you're fearful of, of just being alone, chances are, when you're fearful and you look back on that time of being fearful, that's not like the happiest time in your life right? It's a time that just seems to, to drag on and on, and we don't like to think about it. 
Today we're going to um, hear a psalm, uh, a prayer from David, Psalm 27. And, and what it's going to do is going to walk us in, in kind of a song format through what we do about fear. Because all of us deal with it on some level, and none of us like it. So we're going to be in Psalm 27 today. Um, if you brought your Bibles, you can flip open to that. If you have a Bible app now, you can open that. If you don't have a Bible with you or, or you don't have one at home, I'd love for you to reach underneath your seat. There's a white Bible underneath you. Um, you're welcome to take that. If you need a Bible, write your name in it. That's what it's for. We want them to walk out the door. And if you got one of those, we're going to be on page 262. Um, Psalm 27. What we're going to do is we're going to walk through kind of the whole thing. I'm going to read it. And, and, and just like, you know, songs kind of bring up themes, it's not, okay, this is what we're talking about now, this is what we're talking about. There's really three themes, three questions that we see in the psalm. And so I want us to ask these questions as we're reading it through just one time. First question is this, what does this prayer, what does this song say about ourselves? Second question is, what does this prayer say about our world? And the third question is, what does this song say about God? All right, what does it tell us about God? So we're going to read through this and then address those questions. Psalm 27, David wrote it. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he, he will hide me in the shelter, in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock, and now my head shall be lifted up. My enemies, above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear. O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. And I, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Now, the first question that we asked about this is, what does this prayer say about ourselves? And really, kind of the heart of that is the first three verses, um, especially the first one that David says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Now, here's the thing. If that was like all we read today, and we just kind of lifted that up out of context, it kind of sounds like David's kind of sauntering, like, yeah, I got nothing to be afraid of, right? But really think about it, because he goes on in the next few verses, and he talks about evildoers eating up his flesh, right? Armies encamping against him. When do we pray to God to help us not be afraid? And when do we remind ourselves that there's nothing to be afraid of? When there's plenty to be afraid of, 
right? Like if nothing's going, if nothing's going on, you know, and everything's all good, we're not like, okay, there's nothing to be afraid of, right? It's when everything around us is falling apart. And we see that, that, that basically everything around David is falling apart. We don't know exactly the time in history that David wrote this. We can't like point to a specific time in Israel's history. It may be that he's kind of remembering many of the times that he's been afraid years later and looking back on that and writing this prayer. But part of what he is praying through and part of what he is talking to God about is, is a time when enemies were against him in the kingdom of Israel. And what he was afraid of was that the security that he enjoyed and the safety that he enjoyed and the safety that his nation enjoyed was threatened. It was going to be taken away. There's enemies that could take that away. And that's kind of the first thing that, the, that, that this tells us about ourselves is that when we fear something, and when you really think about it, when we fear something, we fear that which can be taken away. Like there's many different layers to anxiety. There's many, many different layers to being afraid of something. But when we kind of peel those back, really, when we are afraid, is we're afraid of something that we want or we enjoy that can be taken away. Sometimes it's security. Right? Sometimes in a relationship, that's what it is. It might be financial security. Might be that, that there's layoffs on the horizon and you don't know what's going to happen. We fear that which can be taken away. And that's kind of what David is talking about here. When we fear, we fear that something's going to be taken away. Second thing he talks about is, is in the question that we asked, is what does this prayer say about our world? Well, it's easy. If you read through this Psalm of David and all the Psalms of David, most of them are laments or prayers. That, you know, this is what's going on. What this psalm says about our world is there's plenty, plenty to be afraid of. And like if we stopped right there, this would be a really depressing sermon, right? But when you think about it, this is true. This is not just like a spiritual thing or a church thing. This is a thing thing. We're fearful of that which can be taken away, and there's plenty to be fearful of in this world. And I think sometimes we get mixed up as followers of Jesus where we, we somehow trick ourselves into believing or sometimes we hear, you know, we think, boy, if, if I was just doing the right thing and maybe if I would pray more, maybe if I was more faithful, then I wouldn't be so fearful. You know, God, what am I doing wrong? And the reality is, is that there is much in this world that brings us fear. And if you're here and maybe you've walked away from church and, and you're not a religious person or a church person, you, you know, invited by a cute girl or a cute guy or something like that, we're glad you're here. Maybe this is why at some point in time you said no to this whole Jesus thing or you walked away because somebody who might have been meaning well kind of gave you the message that if you would just pray enough, that bad things wouldn't happen to you, that there's nothing to be afraid of. And then your mom got sick and she was the most faithful person you knew. You thought, man, this can't be true, and I get that. And the reality is, that's not what God teaches. That's not what God tells us about this world. It's true that God answers prayer, and it's true that God wants to hear. He knows every single hair on our head. He wants to hear every single aspect of our lives. When something is going wrong, he wants to hear about it. But we're not promised a free pass on trouble. In fact, Jesus himself told his followers, in this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. And this is, this is kind of hard, one of the things that we wrestle with as, as parents, right? Because we don't want to lie to our kids and say, well, there's nothing to be afraid of. It's all going to be fine, right? Because it's a lie. They would see right through that eventually. But you also don't know, like, how far, you know, along to take it. Like, hey, what's that thing in the ceiling? Well, it's a smoke detector. What does that do? Well, you see, there's a chance one day that this whole house will burn to the ground, and we're hoping that'll give us enough time to get out before we die. 
Good night, honey. You got one in your room too. You know, and like we don't do that. Where do you, where do we live in that tension where we don't want to be just totally just drenched with fear? But we also want to be realistic that in this world we will have trouble. How do we deal with that? And if this is where this, this ended, if this is where the psalm ended, if this is where our sermon ended, it'd be depressing because there is plenty to be afraid of in this world. Well, the last question that we asked about this prayer is what does this prayer say about God? And this is really where the rubber meets the road. Because if it's true that we fear that which can be taken away, and if it's true that there's much to be fearful of in this world, then, then where does that leave us? Well, this is what David says about it. And, and it, again, it's through the whole psalm, but especially in verses 4 and 5, this is what he says. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the rock cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And, and, and sometimes when we, we read these things and there's all this kind of you know, spiritual language wrapped up and it's easy to skip really past it, but think really carefully. Look at those two verses and think about what David isn't praying for. At that moment, David doesn't say, hey, God, do you see these things that are happening? Take them away. Do you see what I'm, I'm terrified of, uh, of? Would you just take that away? Now, again, God wants to hear those prayers. In those moments, we come before God, but, but David takes that one step further. He prays many of those prayers in the book of Psalms, but in this particular prayer, when he is terrified, when he's looking back on a time when he's terrified, this is his prayer. Be close to God. Be able to hold on to God. It's not, boy, I, I hope I'll be comfortable. I hope these things will end. Those are okay prayers to pray, but David realizes and he looks around that there's much to be terrified of. And so he does what he, the only thing he knows how to do is say, God, help me hold on to you. And so basically, David says, if, if what we fear is that which can be taken away, and if there's much to be fearful of in the world, and the way that we battle fear, the way that we address fear, is to hold on to that which can never be taken away. And David says, that is God. He's the anchor. Right? Now, at this point, uh, again, if you're not a church person and you're skeptic, kind of like I am, at this point, you're kind of thinking, okay, Benjamin, this is where like the emotional, kind of spiritual, psychological kind of waving of the hand happens. Like, okay, there's stuff to be afraid of, but God, the end. Like, what am I supposed to do with that? And I get that. I get that. Because the reality is, if there is no God or God isn't loving, then all we're left with is, we fear that which can be taken away. There's much to be fearful of. That's it. In fact, if that's all there is, then we really only have two options when it comes to fear. The first one is to kind of pretend like it doesn't exist. Like many of us have done this. Like maybe if you've had financial trouble, you've, maybe you've done this. You've gone to the mailbox. You look through the mail. There's two or three bills in there. They go right in the trash. Like you don't even open them because you're like, I can't deal with that right now. I don't know what to do. And so you ignore it. What you're afraid of, you said, boy, I'm pretending like it doesn't exist. But it doesn't work for very long, right? Or a second option is to try to control the outcome. Like I can deal with this. All right, I'm not going to let this get me again. This happened to me in the past. I'm not going to let what I fear happen again. I'm in control. I can control this outcome. The problem is, you're not that good. Okay, I'm not that good. It just doesn't work. But if, if, if there is no God, and God isn't loving, 
If what David said this isn't true, then it's the only two options we're left with. But here's the thing. The reason why I know this is true and the piece of the puzzle that you need to know is that when God says, I am your anchor, hold on to me, that which can never be taken away. When God says that, the reason why he says that is because he chose us. We did not choose him. This was his idea. And when you think about it, this makes perfect sense, that God would never let us hold on, never let us find our anchor in anything in this world that can never be taken away. And this is really just speculation because I've been through so much that I just wish God would just take away. But I think sometimes God asks us to pray these prayers because what he wants us to do is to find our anchor in him and him alone. And the reason why we know that we can do that is because we did not choose him. He chose us. Uh, last month, my family took a trip through the Midwest and visited some family. My sister lives in Minneapolis. And um, in Minneapolis, there's this thing called the Mall of America. And it's this, this crazy mall. There's like 13 Starbucks or something. And there's four floors. And in the middle is this amusement park. And we were there just for like an hour, hour and a half or something. The girls, uh, you know, Bethany and Sammy, really wanted to ride a few of the rides. So we said, well, we only have so much time. Let's buy tickets for, for what we can ride. So they walked around and looked at the different rides. And there was one ride that looked really great from the ground. You ever ride one of those rides where from the ground, yeah, that looks like fun, right? And what it was is, is it kind of spun around like this. You'd get in some seats and it'd go up and it'd spin around like this. And then you'd be in seats and there's, there's, there's two seats that would work together and they would, they would turn around like this. Now, Bethany, our oldest daughter, loves the spinny rides, okay? And so she wanted to do that one. Now, Jennifer doesn't do the spinny rides, so, so I went on with the two girls. And Bethany was right beside me and, and Sammy was behind me. And, and it kind of, you know, starts, you get buckled in and it starts going around. And, and eventually, as it gets going faster, the, the combination of it going around this way and the seats going around this way made the bottom like, feel like it was just falling out every five seconds. And Bethany was not having it. And she just wanted to get off. And I'm looking around, and everybody's screaming because that's what you do on rides. There's no way that we're ever going to you know, get anybody's attention to get down. So I, I lean over, and I put my arm over, and, and, and I say, honey, I'm here. It's going to be over soon. Okay, we'll, we'll get off this ride. And eventually, yeah, the ride slows, and eventually it comes to a stop. And then it starts going back around <laughs> the other way. And Bethany is not having it at all. Right, and she's just terrified. And, and, and she's like, Dad, I want to get up. She's just terrified, right? And so what do you think I did? I, I looked over and I said, Bethany, there's nothing to be afraid of. I mean, you understand physics better than most nine-year-olds I know. You know that this ride is safe and there's nothing to be afraid of. I just need you to buck up and deal with it and we're going to be done soon. That's not what I said, no. My arm was already over, you know, we're strapped in. I leaned over as much as I could, and I said, honey, daddy is here, and she is terrified. I said, daddy is here. You just hold on as tightly as you can. You squeeze my hand, and boy, she's strong when she's scared, and she squeezed her hand, as, my hand as tightly as she could, and, and for about a minute and a half, and what seemed probably like an eternity to Bethany, she held on for dear life, and her daddy was there. God doesn't want you to find your anchor especially when this world terrifies us. God does not want you to find your anchor in anything but him. We fear that which can be taken away, and there's much to be afraid of. 
then God wants you to hold on to the one thing that can never be taken away, and that is him. Now, at this point, you might be saying, okay, Benjer, that works for you, the pastor, but you don't know my track record with God. You might say, Benjer, I've never been there for God, so there's no way God's going to be there for me through this. All right, that might work for you spiritual people who stand on a stage. Obviously, you don't know me very well, but you might be thinking that, and you might say, that just, that just doesn't work. Right? I've said no to God so many times. How do I know God's going to be there for me? Well, remember, this is how we know. God did not choose, we did not choose God. God chose us. In fact, Jesus told his disciples, you did not choose me. I chose you. Paul was a guy, just interesting, interesting guy. If you read your New Testament, um, Paul was a guy who lived around the time of Jesus, and he didn't believe that Jesus was who he said he was. In fact, when Jesus died and and rose again from the dead, and, and this whole Jesus movement got started and churches started to be planting, he took it upon himself to go from town to town as a religious leader and round up followers of Jesus, put them in the prison, and even oversee their execution. That was Paul's job. And then eventually, Paul has a personal encounter with Jesus and discovers the grace of Jesus. And he goes from being one of the biggest opponents to this early church to one of the biggest proponents. Instead of going from town to town to round up followers of Jesus, he went from town to town all around the known world to tell people about Jesus. And he would write letters. And sometimes he'd write letters to places that he'd never been. And one of those places was Rome. And in the letter to the Romans, Paul spends like the first half talking about what it means that Jesus died for us, how, how, how we are forgiven And not just forgiven, but when Jesus died for us and rose from again, he gave us, he imputed to us, he gave us his righteousness so that when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin. He doesn't see what we have done. He sees what Jesus did for us, and he says, not guilty. You are righteous in my eyes. And I say, you don't know my resume. He says, I don't have your resume. I have Jesus' resume. That's good enough for me. And so Paul spends kind of the first eight chapters walking through that. And then in chapter 8, we'll have it up on the screens. You can flip there in Romans chapter 8. But starting in verse 31, this is what he says. So he's talked about all this. And he says, what then shall we say about these things? Okay, we've talked about this. Jesus died for us. We're forgiven. What then shall we say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I mean, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him Graciously give us all things. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? And that's just another word for the fact that God chose us. He initiated. This was his idea. It is God who justifies, who says not guilty. Who is to condemn? Who's going to bring any charge against us? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God. And he indeed is interceding for us. Jesus says, that's mine and that's mine. Those are mine. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And this was not just like figurative language that Paul was using. People in the Roman church were being persecuted even to death. And when Paul says, okay, I know this is fearful. This is what's going on. He doesn't say, listen, what you're fearful of, you don't have to be afraid anymore. It's not going to happen. Or it's all in your head. No, he doesn't say those things. He says, when you are afraid of those things, when those terrors are around you, what you do, you don't ignore them, you don't try to control the outcome, but you look at them in the eye and you hold on to the only anchor that can never be taken away, which is God himself. And you know that God chose you because Jesus died for you. 
Paul says, yeah, you look around, look at all that has happened, and it's terrifying. Right? There's trouble, there's persecution. Your brother or sister might have been carted down the road in chains, never to be seen from again. Paul says there is trouble, there is difficulty, there is cancer, there is disease, there are layoffs, there is divorce, there are breakups, there is heartache. There is death. But in all these things, verse 37, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why? Because he chose you. When we are terrified and we don't get a pass on that, when there is trouble, when the world is pressing in, when there's something on the horizon that we're scared is going to make its way to the doorstep, or when it's already at our doorstep, when hospice is already there, when the divorce papers are already there, when it's week three of looking for a job and we don't know how we're going to pay the rent or the mortgage, we look at that in the eye. And yes, we pray for God to take that away. He wants to hear our concerns. But when we are terrified, we look at it in the eye and we say, I am holding on to the one thing that can never be taken away. You might take away my, those I love. You might take away my security. But you will never take away my God because he chose me and he died for me. That is what we do with fear. Now, a couple of things and then we're done. First thing is, I want to ask you a question. What are you afraid of? Like, this isn't, this isn't rhetorical. What are you afraid of? What is on the horizon? What clouds are gathering that you say, I don't know how I'm going to deal with that. I know it's coming. I just don't know. What's already on your doorstep? What diagnosis? What relationship? What's going on at work? Or maybe just general anxiety and depression. What's going on inside you? You say, I don't know how I'm going to deal with this, and I'm terrified. You have two options. You can either avoid it or control the outcome, or you can hold on to that which can never be taken away, and that is a God who loves you, who died for you. In a minute, um, we're going to pray. And some of you walked into this room, and you're terrified, right? You got a nice face on, you got a smile, you got out of the minivan. Somebody said, how you doing? You're like, fine. You lied, right? You're terrified. And maybe you've never known the grace of Jesus. You, you, don't, you have no idea what you have to hold on to, and you've been avoiding it. You've been trying to control the outcome, but again, we're not that good. We're not that good. If that's you and you've never said yes to Jesus, this morning I want to invite you to say yes to Jesus. And in a minute, I'm going to pray and I'm going to give you that opportunity. So if you'd close your eyes and bow your heads. When we say yes to Jesus, what we do is we, we say, God, I trust you that what Jesus did for me is die for me and, and, and forgive me and give me life through his resurrection. And to say yes to Jesus, there's no one way to do that. There's no, no magic way. Really, it's just a gift. If you imagine a gift on your lap that you've been given, you just need to open it and say thank you. And one way you might do that is through a prayer. 
And so I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And if, if you want to make this real in your life, please pray along with me. You might say, God, I am afraid and I don't know what to do. And, and I desire to hold on to you. I desire to say yes to Jesus. And so, God, you know my past, you know my sin, and I trust that you took that away. When you died for me, when your son Jesus died for me on the cross, and you've given me life, an eternal anchor to hold on to when you rose again from the dead. God, I don't know how to do this. I'm not even totally sure what this all entails, but God, I just, I just want to say yes to Jesus and follow him all the days of my life. With every eye closed and the head bowed, uh, if that was you, if you just said yes to Jesus for the first time, I want to, to invite you to indicate that through a personal response. Sometimes how our lives are changed is, is, is by doing that. And so in a minute, I'm going to count to three. And if that was you, I want you to shoot up your hand really quickly in the air. If you just said yes to Jesus for the first time on the count of three, just shoot up your, your hand in the air just for a quick second. One, two, three, go. Praise God. Praise God. Praise Jesus. He's celebrating. Did you know that when we say yes to Jesus, when we say yes to Jesus, heaven celebrates. And it doesn't mean the fear is going to always go away. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be things pressing in. It means that you have an anchor now that you can hold on to that is bigger than any fear in this world. It is a God who loves you. And you will never be separated from his love in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Maybe you came in here this morning and, and you're a follower of Jesus, but you have forgotten this and you have been terrified and you don't know what to do. I'm going to pray for you as we close. I'm going to pray that God would help you hold on to the one thing in this world, the one anchor that can never be taken away. And it is God's love in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God, thank you. Thank you, God, that when you see us, when we are terrified, you don't tell us just to buck up or figure it out, but God, you give us yourself. And you say that you are there and you tell us to hold on to you for dear life. God, thank you for showing that and proving that through the death of your son, Jesus for choosing us and forgiving us. God, there is much going on. Some of it, honestly, is, is of our own making. Sometimes what we fear is a mess of our own making. And God, even in the midst of that mess which we made, you still reach down and you say, hold on to me for dear life because I am the only thing that can never be taken away from you. God, thank you for that, for your grace and your mercy. We pray these things in the name of your Son. Let all the people say,